You're listening to the Getting Swamped Podcast. Your number one podcast for Florida Gator football. Scared money don't make money. What's up, folks of Getting Swamped Nation? This is none other than your boy, David Silverquist. And I'm pretty pumped. I'm pretty jacked. That spring game's coming April 16th, and I'm curious to see how Billy Napier runs his offense compared to Dan Mullins. And the the reason why I compare him to Dan Mullen is because we're used to Dan Mullen. We're used to that offense. So if I can pull some stats from Billy Napier at his time at Louisiana Lafayette, compare them to Dan Mullins, I can kind of get an idea of maybe how Billy Napier is going to run his offense under his scheme and everything. So that's why I do that. It's not really that I'm, you know, comparing Billy Napier to Dan Mullen and saying, oh, the last staff sucked or anything. It's, It's really, I'm trying to figure out what is going to change because we haven't really seen any practice yet. You know, spring practice is rolling around. And from what I've heard from other media members that I've talked to, I think they're only going to allow like 15 minutes total of them to, you know, observe the practices or something. I don't know. I have no clue what's going on with that. I'll have to check in and, and make sure. But, you know, spring game, we'll, we'll get a glimpse of that in the spring game, April 16th. Can't wait to be there. If you are there, Actually, if you're not there, I hope you watch it on TV, but if you are there, join me, David Waters, and a bunch of other guys there at Harmonic Woods Tailgate. I'm using Road. It's a fun time there. Really good guys there. And uh, yeah, just don't get caught in the middle of playing like 10 Thunderstruck games, and I think you'll make it out of there alive. But spring game is the only kind of thing that most public figures like us and other guys out there that, that will be able to see it live either on TV or in the stadium. And by the way, that that ticket is free because a lot of people ask me how much of the spring game tickets, it's free. You just walk in there. You don't even have to have a ticket. It's just a spring game. But I'm really curious to see some of the positions and how they use and utilize those guys. And one of the positions that I was really, you know, thinking of this week and I was really excited to go over was tight end. So on today's podcast, we'll be going over, you know, some of the tight ends coming into to the lineup here, some of the tight ends, history, uh, how Billy Napier utilizes his tight ends compared to Dan Mullins. So we'll see where that goes and how the tight end recruiting has been over the past four years as well against all the other SEC teams. But first, a little bit of tight end history for you folks. So Florida, and it's, it's no secret here, guys, Florida's all-time leading tight end in reception yards, Kyle Pitts. He caught 1,492 yards total in his career as a tight end. 100 receptions, averaging 14.9 yards per reception, and had a total of 18 touchdowns. I don't even have to say that to Lee because we've seen Kyle Pitts. <laughs> he also won the John Mackey Award in 2020 and the Consensus All-America Award in 2020 as well. Kyle Pitts also leads the tight end group in all-time touchdowns with 18 total receiving touchdowns for his career. Coming in second, we all know this guy, part of the national championship winning team, Aaron Hernandez, 12 total receiving touchdowns, who would also be another Mackey Award winner and Florida's only other Mackey Award winner, and he won that in 2009. But third in total receiving touchdowns would be Aaron Walker with nine total receiving touchdowns. And a funny thing, you probably don't know about Aaron Walker. He uh, actually, it looks like he says the designated hitter for the Gator baseball team when it opened in 1999. I didn't know that when I looked that up about Aaron Walker, so that's Pretty, I guess a pretty cool fact about Aaron Walker. If uh, you guys were a little bit younger like me, I was only 13 or 14 back in 1999. I'm not trying to make your older people that listen to my podcast feel old, but you know that's I'm, I'm 37 years old. So pretty interesting stat there from Aaron Walker. But you know those won't, you know they weren't the only tight ends who would come through Florida that would be really productive. Jordan Reed, a huge contributor to the team back in 2010 to 2012, but 
you know, he mainly played quarterback in 2010 uh, under Urban Meyer. That was in his system. But then you insert Will Muschamp, they switch him to tight end. He winds up being a really elite tight end. Well, I can't say, I, I would say elite, yes, by the way that he played for the University of Florida. But that offense was just struggling anyway in all that facets of the game. But he was the one bright spot that we had on the offense. He would have 79 total receptions for his career for 945 yards, six touchdowns, averaging 12 yards per reception. Everybody knows how much of a contributor he was for that, that like I said, that suffering offense in 2012. But when you have an elite defense like you did in 2012, you can pretty much win every game if you could score 20 to 25 points, <laughs> that kind of a defense. So unfortunately, though, He's not known for the best highlight play in 2012, fumbling the ball in the end zone, trying to get extra yardage against Georgia in 2012, ultimately costing Florida the game, chance at the SEC championship, chance at the BCS national championship. But I can't put it all on Jordan Reed on that game because I think we turned the ball over six times that game. I think it was two interceptions and four fumbles. I think that's what it was. I know Jeff Driscoll threw one in the end zone. I remember that scarring play. And I think he threw an oh yeah, he got sacked in uh he threw one up and he and it got intercepted too. Or it got fumbled. I can't remember. It, there were just so many bad turnover plays that game, I just want to forget about it. So I, I as you can tell, I don't watch that game too much anymore. But it doesn't take away about how productive he was as an overall tight end for the University of Florida. You know, also getting drafted in the third round by Washington in the NFL. So Florida through the past decade or so actually had some really notable tight end play, but can Florida find their next big tight end in 2022? Let's look at some of the guys in the starting lineup for Florida this year. And first off, I got to start it out with the guy that was ranked the highest out of all of these kids in high school. And, and a lot of people that have been really wanting to see this guy play. And his name is Keon Zipper, six foot three, 234 pound tight end from that school. Like I said, it has been really, really great to us lately. Lakeland High School. He's appeared in 33 games so so far in his Gator career, mainly you know in blocking schemes and other scenarios. He's been targeted 32 times, caught 25 receptions for 309 yards and three touchdowns. He's also caught about 78% of his receptions that have been thrown his way and averaged 12.4 yards per reception. He also had you know 173 of those yards after the catch, 6.9 yards after the catch on average. So not a ton of playing time there for Keon Zipper, regardless of those 33 game appearances, but. In high school, Zipper was the second-ranked tight end in the 2019 recruiting class and the 15th-ranked player in the state of Florida. And he's the 104th-ranked player nationally in that 2019 class. Zipper brings that ideal size and speed to the tight end position that you want if you ever go look at his film. Granted, you know, he had to sit behind Kyle Pitts, sit behind Kamori Gamble. And Kamori Gamble really, he actually really came on last year late in the season. So with Kyle Pitts gone and Kamori Gamble transferring to UCF, does this open the door? for Keon Zipper in this offense? I think so. Going into spring, I honestly think it's his job to lose, but we'll see. Next up, though, a kid I'm really, really interested in seeing also, and I hope I get to see a lot of play from him in the spring game, Nick Elksness, the tight end out of Jacksonville, Florida. He stands six foot six, 232 pounds, and is actually the tallest tight end on the team as well, but only by a couple inches or so, though. He's only appeared in four games, and, you know, seven snaps, six snaps in a blocking role, one snap where he actually went out for a pass to be targeted. So not really a lot of time for Elksness here in his time at Florida, but at Episcopal High School, he had a career total of 1,090 yards, averaging 19.1 yards per reception for 12 touchdowns between his junior and senior year. So in two years, 1,090 yards, 19.1 yards per reception is actually really good. So 
not too bad for a couple years. You know, maybe not a lot of film on this guy. I know COVID ruined a lot of players' film, and, and, and you know, they couldn't play football games. So you, you, you can't – it's really hard to tell and rank these guys when you haven't had a lot of playing time. So who knows where he could have been by the end of the class if he played more football or anything. But he also, you know, he played a little bit of defense in high school. 25 solo tackles, 38 total tackles here. All stats are per maxpreps.com. So – I think Elksness could possibly be the best catcher out of all the tight ends. He's he's shown, like, if you look at his film, he's shown a keen ability to get open. If you look at all of his film, that really good route runner. And I think he might be the challenging tight end for that second spot, even maybe the first spot behind Zipper. But who knows? He, he could win. He could get the starting nod. And I'm really curious to see in the spring game who they have Elksness matched up with when he gets there on the field, whether it's the corner, safety, whatever. I want to see those matchups, and I want to see if 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 a ball gets, you know, he's good at getting open. He's a good route runner, but I want to see a one-on-one matchup. Can he catch a ball over somebody's head? Can he dunk it on the corner? Can he dunk it on the safety or whoever's covering him? I want to see if Nick Elksness can reach up there and catch it with those mitts, kind of like what Kyle Pitts did. So I think he's got the biggest upside of all the tight ends on this roster. But, hey, spring game comes around. We will see. The next player is the one. I particularly like, I got the pleasure to interview him on the Gator Collective Spaces for a bit. And uh, really, you know, he's a great kid. Jonathan Odom, really awesome kid, great personality, real gritty work ethic. And I just, overall, I like his personality. He doesn't seem like the type of guy that's going to complain a lot. He's going to do the work. He's going to smile while he does it. And, you know, he's probably killing phase two right now, (laughs) I would say. Jonathan Odom, man, real good kid. He's appeared in 12 total games, also mainly in blocking scenarios. No real in-game experience. I'm not going to go into college stats because there really isn't any college stats so far in his career. But in high school, he would appear in 31 games with a total of 467 yards for 11 touchdowns, averaging 13.7 yards per reception. He's also accounted for 66 total points scored, averaging 2.1 points per game in his time at Jesuit High School in Tampa, Florida. He was ranked the 769th player nationally in his class, and he's the son of the former Florida Gator and Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive lineman Jason Odom. So football runs in the family here, folks. So I think his best ability, though, just from looking at him at some camps and his high school film, is adjusting to the football. There have been plenty of clips that I've saw in camps where maybe the football went a little bit more in front of him or above his head, and he was able to actually make a great adjustment and still wind up with a catch. So... Really good hips and hands there coming in from Jonathan Odom here in Florida's future. So, like I said, I like the kid's personality. I think he has a good work ethic. And I don't, you know, obviously kids coming out of fresh out of high school, not a college, you know, a lot of college experience need to get developed. You know, you got to get developed and get them starting experience. So I think he'll be pretty good in this offense. I think he'll get acclimated with the staff. And, uh, you know, like I said, adjusting to the football is one of his best qualities if you look at his film. So, Last but not least, Gage Wilcox, six foot four, two hundred and forty-one pound guy from Jefferson High School in Tampa, Florida. He's also only appeared in two games, mainly on special teams, so not hardly any attempts in college. So we'll go ahead and run down his high school stats here real quick. He was a twelfth ranked tight end in the country and the three hundred eleventh ranked player in the twenty twenty-one class. This guy also, you know, really fantastic route runner. He can really accelerate out of the break though, too. He's really good at you know, getting out of his breaks real quick. Uh, maybe not the best, like, Elksness of high-pointing the ball, but can really get down the field for his size. But in high school, he appeared in 30 games. He totaled for his career only 390 total yards at receptions, averaging 11.5 yards 
per reception and nine total touchdowns. So not really, I guess, eye-opening stats in high school. And it really doesn't look like he had much playing time until his junior and senior year playing in only eight and nine games. And like I said before, COVID kind of messed a lot of players' films up as well. So, you know, but for 24-7 sports to have him ranked as high as a four-star with that much playing time just shows that 24-7 and all the other ranking agencies think very highly of Gage Wilcox. So I'll be curious to see how his college career develops here down the road. But that's not it. Just when you thought we were done talking about the tight ends coming into the class, there's one more in this 2022 class that you may not know about because he's listed as an offensive tackle on 24-7 sports and a lot of other sites and on three and all that. And that is a guy by the name of Tony Livingston. Billy Napier alludes to talking about Tony Livingston in one of his press conferences. Let me go ahead and roll the clip for you real quick. I think that Tony is an athlete, right? I think um, certainly we had to do a lot of research, right? I mean, in this situation, he's a fantastic basketball player. Unique dimensions, right? I mean, this guy's 6'4 and 3 quarters. He's 225 pounds this weekend. He's got 11 hand. You know, that's very unique. He's extremely long. Uh, and he's got a big frame, right? I think... Uh, you know, I think Tony's a survivor, right? When you guys start digging into his story, all the things that he's overcome. Um, you know, he came up unofficially this weekend. We had a chance to spend time with him. And it just got a really good feeling from him about the type of person he is. He's got a good heart. Um, and I think he'll be a good player here. Now, he's got he's, – he's a developmental player, right? Um, I think he's got to work really hard this spring. Uh, and certainly show up, but I think he's a unique athlete, right? If you watch the basketball footage, uh, they had ground-level footage of when he came to camp here that we were able to watch. Uh, Then he comes in the door, you know, you're digging into his story. Uh, We had a gut feeling that he's what we're looking for, and we're extremely excited about his potential. So, um, you know, we listed him as a tight end, and I certainly think that uh, he can play that position for us. Tony Livingston, six foot four, two hundred and twenty-five pound. Uh, I guess tied in now, not an offensive tackle. Twenty-four-seven Sports has him listed as a four-star, ranked three hundred and six nationally. But that's at the offensive tackle spot. So now you can just kind of really throw that ranking out the window. Uh, you know, Billy Napier's bringing him in to play the tight end position. Maybe he can be that hybrid guy that was like that Jordan Reed that came in, was recruited at quarterback, and then they switched him to tight end and was a complete freak of a tight end for us in a, in, like I said, a suffering offense back then. So, you know, Livingston coming in here, uh, you know, Billy Dapier says extremely long, big frame survivor. You know, he talks about his mental toughness as well. And if you follow Tony Livingston through high school, it's been through a lot, man. So like you already know you're getting a mentally tough person. You know, you're going to get a guy that's an all around athlete. If you ever look at some of the basketball film in high schools, well, he's dunking on kids and everything like that. Just a really good all around athlete. And, you know, they said they had a gut feeling about Tony Livingston. So, uh, really excited to see, you know, that's the mystery guy here on, on this tight end, you know, spot. Obviously, he probably he's going to be a developmental guy, like Billy Napier said, but he said he's a unique athlete, you know. Like a Kadarius Tony coming out of here as a three-star, a quarterback, you know, in 24-7 sports. You turn him into an athlete, and then you turn him into a receiver, and he just he can just do everything. Like Kadarius Tony was always hard to tackle, great hips, can get out of his breaks really fast, and now he's playing in the NFL for the Giants. So really cool to see Billy Napier kind of comment on Tony Livingston's mental toughness and his physical toughness and how of a, much of a unique athlete. So we'll see what happens with Tony Livingston here. 
Uh, but like I said, it's going to be a developmental guy, so you probably won't see him on the field for the first couple of years. But man, he put put a little bit more size on, put like maybe twenty more pounds on that frame, six foot four, get about two forty five there. You could be a really dangerous tight end out there, especially in space. So we'll see what happens with Tony Livingston. I'm kind of excited for this guy. And that'll wrap it up for the current tight end rundown of athletes coming into the University of Florida. Not a lot of experience at that tight end spot, but tons of potential on that roster, man. So we'll see who wins that starting job coming up here in the spring. So next, though, we're going to run down some interesting statistics I posted on GettingSwap.com and some very interesting facts about Napier's utilization of his tight ends from what we're probably not used to seeing on the second part of our podcast coming up. Need a sign for your company, your man cave, your live stream or podcast? Give my guy Brandon White a shout out at White & Sons Wood Carving. He has the best handcrafted signs nationally, all custom fit for your needs. With state-of-the-art paint and epoxy, you can have that glow of your sign too with some custom LEDs as a package as well. Give him a shout out on Twitter at WS Wood Carving. You can also follow him on Twitch and check out his Facebook page at White & Sons Wood Carving. Top of the line signs made from scratch. You're listening to the Getting Swamped Podcast with your host, David Soderquist, your number one source for all things college football and Florida Gators. All right. Now let's do a little bit more studying on Billy Napier and his time over there at Louisiana Lafayette and see how much tight end production he had over there and how he utilized his tight ends. As I posted on the side earlier, it, it's funny when you compare Billy Napier to, to what Mullen did over here. Uh, you know, I do that a lot just based on the fact of, you know, what's going to change because we don't really know. I mean, we know what we see on film. And I kind of talked to Will Miles about this in DM, and he said, if you kind of look at the San Francisco 49ers offense, that's kind of what Billy Napier's offense is going to look like coming into the University of Florida. So I pulled some really interesting numbers here over the last week. And I hope I don't lose you guys on this math. So I'll do a quick rundown of the numbers I gathered from my research and I'll leave the more in-depth stats on my site, gettingswamp.com. That way I don't confuse the heck out of you folks here. And, you know, I could go down every single year and give you the in-depth stats of the tight ends of every year, but I'm just going to do the total over the past four years because that's a lot. It's a lot of calculation. My brain was jello after looking at all these statistical categories, but I'll leave I'll leave the more in-depth ones on the site, getting That way you guys can read it if you get time. But over the course of four years, Billy Napier's tight ends caught for 1,285 yards. They were 126 of 185, 68.1% success rate as the tight ends and 8.88 yards per reception. Now, blocking, it's a big thing for tight ends, right? That's in some cases, that's how you win the starting job because you got to do everything right. How many coaches do we know that say, "Yeah, well, he can catch the ball really well, but he can't block," and that's why he's not the starter. You know, he's not the starter. He's got to do everything right. So you got to do everything right as an overall player. But blocking snaps for tight ends, big numbers here for uh, Billy Napier. Something you got to pay attention to here. On average, Billy Napier's tight ends blocked on passing and running plays sixty-six point three percent of the time in his tenure at Louisiana Lafayette. So there was 475 plays that were blocking for the pass and 2,948 snaps they were in run blocking plays. So out of those 3,423 blocking snaps total, 13.8% of those were pass blocking snaps, while the other 86.2 of those snaps were blocking for the run game. So that's pretty interesting. The rest of the 1,741 snaps, 
the tight ends were, you know, I said, either running for a pass attempt or a gimmick play to throw off the defense or some other kind of route run. So tight ends went out on routes 33.8% of the time in Napier's offense, well under 50% there. Uh, so, so how does that correlate into the offense changing? What are, from what we're used to seeing with Dan Mullen? Now let's look at Dan Mullen's stats and how he utilized the tight ends aside from Billy Napier. And before I get into Dan Mullen's statistics on his tight ends, I want to let you guys know that Billy Napier, I didn't mention this before, his tight ends had a total of 5,164 total snaps in the last four years. And I already broke down which ones were blocking, which ones were route runs, etc. So Dan Mullen actually lined up his tight ends in 4,137 snaps. So that's almost 1,000 more snaps that Billy Napier lined his tight ends up in a route run or a blocking situation over Dan Mullen. So... How does Dan Mullen's stats correlate against Napier's? Let's look over the course of the past four years. Dan Mullen's total in receptions and route runs for his tight ends was 2,741 yards. They would go 200 for 307, a 65.1% success rate, and they would average 12.92 yards per reception. So about 1,000 more yards than Billy Napier on receptions there. And the success rate there, Billy Napier had a 3% more success rate in catching the football with his tight ends, but Dan Mullen averaged four more yards than Billy Napier did there. So now let's look at Dan Mullen and how he used his tight ends in blocking situations. So Dan Mullen's tight ends lined up for pass blocking plays in 377 snaps. Run blocking plays, they would line up 1,792 snaps. The rest of the 1,968 snaps were route runs, etc. So, 52.4% of tight end snaps were blocking plays, while the other 47.6% were not. So, on blocking plays, 17.3% of them were pass blocking snaps, while the other 82.7% were run blocking snaps, compared to Napier's 13.8% for pass blocking and his 86.2% for run blocking. So Mullen lined up his tight ends 3.5% more to block on pass plays than Napier did. And Napier lined up his guys 3.5% more on run plays. Pretty crazy, both numbers matching there. So there's a 3.5% split between both head coaches. So on average in his tenure at Florida, Dan Mullen had his tight ends blocking and pass and rushing situations 52.4% of the time compared to Napier's 66.3%. So Napier used his tight ends in blocking situations about 14% more than what Dan Mullen did at his time at Florida. In fairness, though, Napier didn't have the luxury of, I guess, Kyle Pitts in his offense, but who else besides Mullen did, right? But but still, that's a, a significant number of snaps between pass and run blocking than Dan Mullen. So Napier, you know, he had alluded to that he loves to use the two tight end sets, and he did have success with that over at Louisiana Lafayette. And I can't blame the guy. If you're able to run the ball down people's throats and it's working, keep doing it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just but just looking at the numbers, you got to love that, especially with the running back stable we have coming in 20, 2022, as we discussed a few podcasts ago. But look, I mean, these tight ends, they're going to get the opportunity to catch the football and, and go downfield. I have no doubt in my mind, that is what's going to happen. The big question is, first off, who wins the tight end battle? And secondly, can they block? Can they do everything else right? Can they earn their way into a starting role on the field? Only time will tell. A spring practice will ramp up here shortly. I'm also curious to, to see what design run plays and, and in plays in general this coaching staff decides to draw up and how the defense reacts to those plays as well. Because, you know, 
in a spring game, it's really hard to tell which side of the football is good and which one's bad because, you know, the offense could score 40, 50 points. And then either you're thinking, well, our defense is really bad or our offense is really good. It, it depends on whether you're a glass half empty or glass half full kind of guy about things. I don't really look into spring games as much as a lot of people do. I like to see the matchups. I like to see, you know, what athletes stand out amongst all the rest of them. That's what really you look for in a spring game. What athletes stand out more and and what quarterback plays better? What quarterback is out there? Who's going to win the starting quarterback job? So I like to look at some of those things in the spring game. And I can't wait for April 16th, man. It's going to be fun. Be down there tailgating and uh, be getting a good look at the new offense here that Billy Napier is going to bring to town. So in conclusion, look for the tight ends in this offense to be blocking more for the run. Look for more two tight end sets, but also look for some of those five-star running backs and transfer Montrell Johnson to get some playing time at running back, who's the only guy in the running back roster besides Naquan with some college experience at running back. So really curious to see who starts at running back and who can win the reins of that starting tight end spot. I'm picking Keon Zipper, but we'll see if he can zip his way into the starting lineup. No pun intended there, man. All right, that'll wrap it up here, covering the tight end position. I hope the numbers didn't confuse anyone too much, but if you go to GettinSwamp.com, I do have a rundown of the statistics on my site in the blog section. I also post them on Twitter as well, so if you have not followed my personal account on Twitter, you can follow me at GettinSwamped on Twitter, and you can follow the podcast page too, at SwampedPodcast on Twitter as well. But that'll wrap it up, folks, for this episode of Getting Swamped, your latest in football, statistics, special guests, and social media. Thank you for listening to this episode of Getting Swamped.